Lord our God, as we come to your word, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, give us minds to understand, and hearts to receive your word. O Lord, we ask that you would do this by your Spirit, without whom we would not understand. We would be as those with deaf ears, with hardened hearts. Lord, give us ears, give us hearts to receive your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past several years, I've had the difficult privilege of performing a a number of funerals. And actually, the first time I was ever behind a pulpit was uh, for a member of this congregation a number of years ago. Some of you will remember uh, Mary Abbott. And since that time, the funerals have come at somewhat of a steady pace, uh, with more regularity than I would like to think about. Uh, Just a few months ago, stood by the bedside of the member, one of the members of our congregation, as he was about to be taken off of life support, and stood by there, grabbed his hand, and told him I would see him soon, and felt him squeeze my hand, and then I left the family to uh, their privacy. Uh, That evening, I had to tell our children at the family worship, Mr. Jerry is gone. And they sat in silence for a while until one of them said, I'm tired of so many funerals. I know exactly what they feel. It's something that I've felt too, a sorrowful frustration over death. Tired of so many funerals. You stand by the graveside of family members, of church members, of those with whom you have had fellowship, beside whom you have worshipped, with whom you've had good conversations, and now the worship, the laughter, the smiles are silent. Life can be filled with joy can be filled with many good things, many blessings, but it's always cut short because we all must go to that dark river of death. All of the conversations, all of the fellowship, all of the laughter comes to silence in the grave. Now, contrary to what you may be thinking at this point, I I do have an encouraging message ahead of us. And that message is, we could summarize it in this, this concept that for all who are in Christ by faith, death has lost its power because Jesus has fulfilled and is fulfilling the prophecy that is before you this morning, this prophecy that was given to Isaiah so many years before Christ came, before He was born of Mary, before He walked this earth. 
God gave this to Isaiah, and Christ has fulfilled this and is fulfilling it and will bring all to completion. That's where our hope is. That's where our hope is in the midst of loss and grief and tears. Now, I'm going to bring really the first half of the, the, the sermon this morning and, and this evening, Lord willing, uh, bring sort of an, what was an expanded uh, uh, completion to it, an expanded uh, ending to the sermon that I had last week. But then as I, I looked at it, much, uh, much needed to be said, and there's much comfort to be derived from this. So let's, uh, I want to begin with giving you a little bit of a background. Since you're jumping into Isaiah here, um, let's talk about Isaiah for a little bit. He's, he's a great prophet in, in Jerusalem. He's in, I like to think of him, I've come to think of him as, as the, the seer, as the prophets used to be called uh, in, the, in the old days, a seer that stands on a high mountain and he looks out. As, he, as Isaiah looks out, he can see all the people spread out in the valley below him. And as he looks out, he can see not only what's coming or what is in the present, but he sees beyond. He sees out to the end of time. In fact, Isaiah is able to see often into heaven itself. And sometimes with Isaiah, as as with this prophecy, you're not quite sure where earth ends and heaven begins. It's, it's almost like uh, looking out at a sunrise. You look out at the horizon, and then once the sun comes up above the horizon, you can no longer look at the horizon. You can no longer see that definite line. And that's, that's something of what Isaiah does. He speaks, and, and you're not quite sure if he's talking about something that happens in this life that will be completed in this life or something that's going to be completed later, even after death. And oftentimes, it is something that is completed after death. And we know that because of the New Testament, which quotes from Isaiah incessantly all the way almost to the end of Scripture, where this passage is brought up again at the end of Revelation. So Isaiah is preaching to a church that's really in a dismal state. It's, it's not doing well. It is idolatrous, it's immoral, it's selfish, it's spiritually cold. Even the worship is so bad in the temple that the worship of the true God that the, the, through the Levitical priesthood is so bad that God says, who asked you to come into my courts? This trampling in my courts. Who asked you to do this? Israel, specifically Jerusalem, that center point of the worship of God stands condemned. It's something like the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3, whose love had grown lukewarm. He said, you need to repent or I'll spit you out of my mouth. And that's the point at which uh, Israel is, the Old Testament church, and I'll refer to Israel as the Old Testament church. That's the point at which they have found themselves. God is speaking to them through Isaiah, saying, you need to repent. 
He says early on, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So there's condemnation for them, but he calls them to repentance. And then there's, there's a, a process of, of indicting the people. So there's, there are uh, condemnations for Israel, the northern tribes. There's condemnations for Judah, for the king in Judah who did not trust the Lord. There's condemnation for the nations all surrounding. There's condemnation because there are nations about to attack Israel. There's condemnation for them. There are condemnations for the nations who are the, in whom the, uh, the king of Judah is putting his trust. And so there's, there's just condemnation all around. And, and we can sometimes read the prophets and just see all of this judgment and well, this, this doesn't really sound like good news to me. This is, this is all very bad news. It's all death and destruction and condemnation. At the same time, we have to recognize that it is a just condemnation. In fact, in the previous chapter to what we just read, Isaiah 24, there's a comprehensive condemnation. The whole world, all the land, is condemned. And it says in verse 5, the earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they have transgressed laws, violated the statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Yes, the world will stand under God's condemnation, does stand under his condemnation for their breaking of God's laws. There's also the concept of, of the, the problem of enemies. So there's the destruction, the judgment that becomes because of sin. So we could say this is the, the enemy within. It's within the walls of Jerusalem, this enemy, this destroyer. But then there are enemies without. There's the enemies, those who are seeking to attack, like the Assyrians coming down to attack Israel and in whom Judah is going to put its trust instead of in the Lord. There are other nations for, for Judah at this, this time. They had put their trust in Assyria because their, their brothers in Israel had come in and were making war against Judah and destroying many of them. Uh, and that, that was something that had happened earlier in the book of Isaiah. There's death everywhere. There's death and destruction. The the nations bring death to their neighbors. There's the destruction also of idolatry. The sins of the people as they trust in idols. And after this point, there's going to be a judgment against the idols and those who put their trust in them. But Isaiah is a preacher of the Messiah. He's a preacher of gospel hope as well. So he presents the bleak reality of life under God's judgment under, because of his justice, but he also presents hope. And hope in Isaiah is centered on Mount Zion. So Zion is the mountain, Jerusalem the city on it. There's hope in Mount Zion. There's hope in the city of God. And that hope for Isaiah is centered on the king, the coming king. And so you see this throughout, and Isaiah really builds his case through, through the, uh, throughout the book. 
You see it from the beginning where he says in chapter 2 that, that there's hope in Mount Zion, that all the nations are going to come streaming to Zion. And then you see him in chapter 7 speaking of Emmanuel, God with us. This is going to happen, the one born of the virgin. In chapter 9, he speaks about the Prince of Peace who will come and give us peace. But he continues on, continues building his case and continues to, to reveal more and more about this coming king, the one in whom is centered all of Jerusalem's hope, all of Zion's hope. But there's this one place in all the world where there is hope, and that is Mount Zion, the city of God, because of her king. And so in, in this context that we have right here, there is devastation all around. And so in, a, in a, the, the picture that we're given in chapter 24 is one of complete devastation. Just imagine the lands, landscape just smoking. There are no more trees. It's just destruction and gray and ash everywhere. The laughter of revelry and drunkenness. Those who had rejoiced in their sins before, it's all been silenced under judgment. And then we come to the places where there's still singing. Where singing is not just going on, but increasing. And you see that in chapter 24. It begins to speak in verses 14, 15, and the beginning of 16 in chapter 24. From the ends of the earth we hear songs, glory to the righteous one. In all the earth the songs of revelry are silenced. The songs to the righteous one are increasing. At the end of chapter 24, it brings us to a heavenly scene, one that will be more clearly seen at the end of Revelation. The moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem in His glory, but will be before the elders. So as Isaiah stands on this mountaintop, he looks down into the valleys below and destruction and death lie in deep, dark pools all around. But upon Mount Zion, the sun is rising. And you can see it's, it's brilliantly illuminated. The hope that comes from Zion's king. There is darkness but after the darkness comes light. It's like that old Reformation motto, post tenebras lux. After the darkness, light. And that's what Isaiah brings to us. In this chapter, we have the great hope that's presented and really centered here in chapter 25 on verse 8 especially. But verses 6 through 8, let's read them again. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and, uh, with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain He will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. The Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. 
This is a sure word. The Lord has spoken. It brings us to that great enemy of death. All of these, these other dangers, the, the great fear is death. That is the great enemy from the very beginning. From the beginning of time, the threat was of death for sin. In the fall, death was assured and has been since that time. The Bible doesn't present to us death as sort of a natural part of life, just a natural part of of the life cycle. It presents it to us as something unnatural, as a judgment, as the punishment. Paul says in Romans 6, the wage of sin is death. Now, we have to talk about sin. We have to talk about death because these are the realities in which we live. Maybe, maybe you get tired of it. Can we talk about something besides sin today? We get tired of talking about sin. And in, in the church today, there's really a lot of pressure to not, just let's suppress that a little bit. Take a fire extinguisher to the, the, the brimstone sermons. Let's, let's put this out. Let's be an inviting church. Let's not talk about sin directly. Let's coax people in. Just make a welcoming atmosphere. Bring them to Christ. But what is our great need? Why come to Christ? We're dying. All of us are dying, and not just physically dying, which we begin the process of Pretty much upon birth, we have sicknesses that rack our bodies. We have, oftentimes we have healing from sicknesses. We get over the flus most of the time. But eventually, death wins. But that's not the only problem that we have. We have the problem of death after physical death. Man can kill the body, Jesus said, but... Fear God who can cast both body and soul into hell. Revelation calls this the second death. This is because of sin. This is the problem that we face. We have to talk about sin. If if a doctor knew his patient had terminal illness, he has cancer, Would it be kind or cruel for the doctor to say to his patient, we 